Welcome to Ask the Expert. Um, it's a brief, informative, lively discussion with experts in type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research. We're recording this event. We're going to post the Sugar Science site, uh, this on the Sugar Science site YouTube channel shortly after presentation. If you have any questions for our guest, Jessica Kennison, today, please feel free to enter them in the chat or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. And as I just mentioned, today is our guest. We have our guest, uh, Jessica Kennison, PhD, coming to us from Boston. Um, she, uh, I'm going to give her a little bit of her, her bio because it's just pretty phenomenal. Um, she got her, she received her BA in neuroscience from Boston University, graduating cum laude. She worked as a technical research assistant in the, in the lab of Francisco Quintana at Amnurami Center for Neurological Diseases at the Brigham uh, and Women's Hospital in Boston for three years before she enrolled in this PIBS program at BUSM. And as a PhD candidate in the laboratory of Dr. David Scher, uh, Jessica is investigator, was investigating the role of the aryl hydrocarbon receptor in autoimmune disease, tumor immunosuppression. We'll hear more about this in a minute, but this is pretty significant. By the time of her graduation, uh, she published 14 peer-reviewed papers and 13 abstracts, and also was the recipient of the New England Immunology Conference Young Investigator Award in 2019. It's pretty amazing. Um, she's also, um, um, a scientist at Ad Tolerance, uh, which uh, Pfizer has exercised an option to exclusively license an immune tolerance therapy from uh, this company's uh, T1D program, which is pretty uh, pretty exciting for her too. So I'm going to um, turn it over to Jessica. Can you give us a little thumbnail sketch of your sort of you know where you are right now and what excites you most about the research you're working on, um, and you know possibly even throw in your newest paper <laughs> if you if you're up for it. Welcome and thanks for talking to us. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to get the opportunity to talk to you guys. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, you gave a little brief overview there of my background. Um, I'm currently working with Antolerix. I'm actually also working uh, as a postdoctoral fellow at uh, Brigham Women's Hospital with uh, Dr. Francisco Quintana. And so we're doing um, a lot of really exciting research these days. In particular at Antolerix, I'm going to tell you guys about our work focused on antigen-specific immune tolerance for the treatment of a wide array of autoimmune diseases. Um, <clears throat> so not just type 1 diabetes specifically, but also how we think that this platform can really fit into a, a number of different diseases, which uh, are all common in the way that autoimmune diseases um, really have improper activation of the immune system. Um, <clears throat> like you mentioned in my PhD, I also uh, was working on tumor immunology. And um, really what was fun was that my PhD was uh, this intersection of both autoimmune diseases and tumor immunology because I was studying this particular receptor, the aryl hydrocarbon receptor, which you guys are gonna hear about because it's the, the receptor that we focus on at Antolerix. And um, what's so great about it is that it sits uh, at this balancing point in your immune system. And depending on which way you target it, uh, so to suppress it in the case of cancer or to activate it in the case of autoimmune diseases, you can actually treat the different diseases, which uh, present very differently, but in actuality have uh, a lot of similarities in the way at least that the immune system is functioning. So that's pretty cool. We had a recent paper come out um, in PNAS uh, just this past year, uh, looking at the aryl hydrocarbon receptor in tumor immunology, and last year in PNAS, uh, looking at AHR in uh, autoimmunity and specifically multiple sclerosis over there. So a lot of really exciting work um, looking at this receptor, but also more broadly at the idea of really restoring the immune system to how it should be functioning in order to treat diseases, which I think is super cool. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think... Um... You know, do you want to dive a little deeper into 
you know, this nano, I mean, from the current PNAS paper, basically you've got a nanoliposome based platform for the adduction of antigen specific tolerance via using this modulation of signaling by the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I've got some slides on it, but um, I mean, liposome technology is really hot right now, given that uh, all of these mRNA vaccines are delivered by liposomes, which is really exciting for all of us that were in the field and felt like it wasn't quite being talked about enough. And of course, that's like a totally different, um, well, not totally different, but it's a different application. Uh, but you can really see how, how liposome technology and nanoparticle technology can be adapted um, to, to a variety of different treatments. And um, I think it's really an excellent uh, delivery mechanism. Um, it's incredibly safe, which was one of the reasons that it was able to roll out so quickly with the vaccine. Um, and one of the reasons that we think that it's such uh, a great um, uh, application or uh, modality for the use of autoimmune diseases where you're imagining potentially treating people long-term. And so you, you're, the, the focus on safety, um, I think is really critical in the world of autoimmunity in a way that, you know, Sometimes with cancer or other types of places, you can get away with having uh, maybe some therapeutics that are a little harsher, but um, with nanoliposomes, they've got a really strong safety profile. You're able to target them really specifically and uh, it's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Cool stuff. No, this is, this is really interesting. And I know like you guys, um, you know, one thing that intolerance is really kind of, um, you know, I guess you, I hope you'll show a slide where you have the, you know, it's sort of the nano formulation diagram because it really shows how you constructed such a really, um, yeah. you know, a really interesting nanoparticle really that, you know, it has, that, that has a lot of parts. I mean, it's yeah. not just, in, I mean, maybe some people are imagining this sort of like, you know, liposome that's just sort of floating in there, but this is a really um, engineered liposome, I guess I would say. It is. <clears throat> Yeah, we want, we want to make the most out of it. So how about if I jump into my slides and then- Yeah, go for it. Um, You're ready. But feel to free absolutely to ask questions throughout. Um, I think that that makes it more fun, at least for me. Yeah, please do everyone. <laughs> um, all right. Can you see my slides? I can. Perfect. Pretty. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we like dendritic cells and they happen to be really beautiful. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we get our name from antigen tolerance therapeutics. It's a bit of a strange name, but really the idea here is that we are uh, generating and engineering these nanomedicines for the treatment of autoimmunity and potentially other diseases as well. But um, really the idea here is that a lot of autoimmune diseases uh, result from the improper activation of the immune system, right? So your body is uh, improperly re recognizing these antigens from the pancreas or from other tissues in other autoimmune diseases. And what's happening is that you have this induced immune, uh, adaptive immune response where these T cells are infiltrating the tissue. They're causing a lot of destructive damage. And um, the idea here is that you already have pathways and mechanisms in place in your body existing already uh, which are meant to shut down these pathways. And that's what we kind of consider tolerance, right? Is the idea of um, teaching these T cells and immune, adaptive immune cells that uh, the antigens that they're being exposed to or that they're looking at are um, not anything to be bothered with, right? Uh, so this is a ni really nice diagram here. It's a very dendritic cell focused diagram, but that's kind of how uh, we like to think about it in tolerics is um, you have these dendritic cells which interact with a variety of uh, T cells, but also B cells and, and other immune cells. 
And what's happening in, this auto, in autoimmunity is that you have this activation of all of these CD8 positive T cells or Th1, Th2, uh, CD4 positive T cells. And they're recognizing these self-antigens um, and uh, putting out all of these cytokines and really negative um, responses that when they're infiltrating the tissue can be really destructive. And dendritic cells are constantly in communication with these T cells. And depending on the signals that dendritic cells are putting out is really how a T cell uh, is programmed and how it's responding. And so what you can do um, in order to induce tolerance is to uh, induce this more um, regulatory phenotype in dendritic cells, which then go and talk to DCs or talk to T cells and uh, through the use of these immunosuppressive cytokines and uh, tolerogenic receptors and, and uh, things expressed on the surface in order to convert these T cells or induce T cells into a more regulatory phenotype. So you might be shutting down uh, existing CD8 positive T cells through things like energy, or you might be inducing regulatory T cells, uh, both conventional FOXP3 positive T cells, as well as um, IL-10 positive TR1 cells, which are highly immunosuppressive. And so the way that we do that at Antolerix is actually through uh, this endogenous pathway called the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. And there's been a lot of work done uh, on this particular receptor. Actually, fairly recently, it's really only been around or known for the last 10, 12 years in the context of immunity. It's actually known uh, longer past back then. But really, what's interesting about the AHR is that it can be thought of sort of similarly to a steroid receptor. Um, it's, it's a receptor that, when inactive, sits in the cytoplasm but it's activated by a wide array of ligands. And these ligands, when they bind to the AHR, activate it and it translocates into the nucleus. And once there, it acts as a transcription factor and it affects a whole host of different genes um, that can change, uh, change the morphology of the cell and change a number of different things. And in particular, uh, it can have effects in dendritic cells, but it can also have specific effects in T cells themselves. Um, the pathway that we tend to focus on uh, at Antolerix, because our nanoliposomes are targeted to DCs, is that activation of the aryl hydrocarbon receptor uh, in dendritic cells themselves actually turns on this tolerogenic uh, pathway, particularly through the upregulation of IDO1 um, and the kynurenin pathway. And uh, through this mechanism can actually suppress uh, effector T cells um, and induce regulatory T cells. Uh, in particular, um, it induces FOXP3 as well as IL-10 positive TR1 cells, and it suppresses TH1 and TH17 cells. And as I mentioned, we can actually have direct effects on AHR within the T cells themselves. And so activation of the AHR pathway in T cells can change um, their phenotype and change their differentiation states uh, more towards regulatory T cells and away from T effector cells. Although I will uh, emphasize that that's actually ligand specific. And so, um, there's a whole host of different AHR ligands, uh, which are known. It's actually quite a promiscuous receptor. Um, they can be found in everything from your diet, uh, things like broccoli and a lot of tryptophan metabolites are AHR activators, um, as well as things, uh, as well as different ligands being produced through your microbiota and actually through the gut microbiome, which is a really fascinating area of research that we're doing a lot of work on now too. And- um, That's fascinating. I, I just wanted to ask you quickly, um, Jessica, this is curious over here where the proteasome is involved in the degradation of AHR? Uh, yes, to a certain extent, yep. Okay, and so, hmm, that's really curious. And then the lipid, um, sort of the lipid piece is released and then it's degraded. 
Yeah. Is, is, is that ongoing or is this kind of reg is that very regulated? Um, it is definitely regulated. And actually there's this whole um, kind of HR pathway that acts on itself. Uh, so it, it, it can both, um, it's, an, it's an interesting self-regulation loop that HR does because actually the activation of HR leads to the production of, believe it or not, more HR ligands. So you can have this buildup and activation of the HR pathway, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it also can activate um, things which induce uh, its, induce proteasome activity and induce the degradation of the HR. So it's kind of this interesting uh, self-regulatory loop. And actually one of the major genes that it does is the HR repressor, uh, which actually competes with HR ligands in, in order to shut down the HR. So it's got a really interesting self-regulatory feedback loop yeah. within the HR itself, which is cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Okay, sorry to interrupt. I just was sort <laughs> of um, curious about that piece. Yeah, no problem. And so the ligand actually that we focus on uh, at Antolerix is one called ITE. It's got a really long name, so I don't like bothering. But basically, <laughs> uh, it's an endogenous ligand that was originally isolated from the lung. And the thing that we like about it, on top of the fact that it's endogenous and already exists in your body, um, it's incredibly potent. It's one of the most potent uh, ligands, at least in our hands. And, um, and it has a very strong safety profile. It's uh, actually really, really quickly metabolized into inactive um, versions. And uh, it works really, really well at inducing this um, tolerogenic phenotype in DCs and inducing regulatory T cells. Because like I mentioned, actually different HR ligands can have sort of different effects. Um, it based off of, it, it's pretty contradictory, but it's believed that it's possibly through the way that ligands bind with the HR and um, they can change the conformation in order to uh, induce different downstream effects and with different uh, transcriptional factor partners and things like that. That's cool. Yeah, the and picture I was hoping for. <laughs> that's the picture you were hoping for, yeah. yeah. So the way that we choose to deliver our HR ligand is actually through nanolithosomes, which are really cool for a number of reasons. But the way that they're so, the reason that they're so perfect for us is that um, our HR ligand ITE is hydrophobic and so we're able to embed it in the lipid bilayer of these nanoliposomes, mm -hmm. while at the same time, we have this nice uh, hydrophilic core where we can put anything water soluble. And so what we choose to do is, is to load these T or B cell antigens and um, usually peptides, or we can even do whole proteins. Oh. And so that you can co-deliver to the same cell every time you know that you're delivering both the HR agonist um, in order to induce the tolerogenic phenotype, but also the disease-specific antigen, which you can trade out depending on which disease uh, you're studying. And that way, you know that the signal that you're inducing is actually very specific to that disease and uh, hopefully limiting off-target effects, but also um, really uh, generating these regulatory T cells that then hone to the site of inflammation specifically and work in a really highly specific manner. And basically what's nice about nanoliposomes also is that just based off of their size and charge characteristics alone, we're able to target them to antigen presenting cells like dendritic cells, macrophages. And we're able to see really, really efficient uptake both in vitro as well as in vivo of these nanoliposomes. Um, they're, they're awesome in terms too of all the, all the different tools that you can use, right? You can label these liposomes and track where they're going, what cells are uptaking them. And, um, and, and they work really, really well at delivering our HR ligand at the same time as delivering our uh, antigen of interest. And 
so as I mentioned, um, we, these, these particles can be used to activate the HR and induce a tolerogenic profile. Uh, this is just some different uh, gene transcription or gene, gene expression data that we've generated looking in mouse dendritic cells, uh, where if we incubate with our nanoliposomes, we see strong upregulation of the IDO pathway, which is immunosuppressive, as well as IL-10, TGF-beta, and suppression of um, pro-inflammatory cytokines like IL-6 and TNF-alpha. And this is the same regardless of whether you have uh, the ITE, the HR agonist alone within the particle, or whether you're also co-delivering a um, disease-specific antigen. So you're able to load up both of them efficiently. Wow. And in addition, um, you're able to still be able to present antigen very efficiently. So these liposomes not only go to the DCs, but they then present the, in this case, what we were doing was using um, cells from a 2D2 transgenic mouse. So these are mice that have all of their TCRs or all of their T cells express a TCR specific for a particular peptide called MOG. And if you take these T cells and um, stimulate them with our nanoliposomes, if we just have MOG in the nanoliposomes, they proliferate really, really well, which means that our dendritic cells uh, are not only taking up the liposomes, they're presenting the antigen and are able to stimulate the T cells. Um, but if we have our ITE in there, uh, we actually don't see this proliferation because we believe of this tolerogenic phenotype that's being induced and the activation instead of regulatory phenotypes, thereby suppressing the proliferation. And uh, this is the same whether we look in both mouse DCs or human DCs. We're able to really strongly activate the AHR, induce uh, immunosuppressive phenotypes, and suppress uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. It's nice we have both mouse and human data. Very nice. Yeah. It's important. There's, I think we, we need translation. That's what, we're, that's what we're all about for sure. And I'm going to speed through this a little bit, but basically what it is is that we've done a lot of work looking at uh, the pathways behind how all of this operates. And really what it is is that um, our nanoparticles go in, they activate the aryl hydrocarbon receptor, and through a couple of different mechanisms, it's actually not just one, but a couple of different mechanisms, uh, including the uh, SOX2, which inhibits NF-kappa B, mm -hmm. and thereby shutting down pathogenic T cells, or through CD39, an immunosuppressive IDO, or actually through some really interesting work that I can't talk much about, but that's coming out shortly out of Francisco Quintana's lab at the Brigham, uh, where they're actually showing that AHR is, uh, is remodeling the metabolism of the cells in order to, again, induce regulatory T cells. And, and what we're using it for really unrest autoimmunity. And in uh, what you guys have all probably been waiting for in our mouse models of type 1 diabetes. Uh, so if we were to look at the non-obese diabetic mouse, which is a spontaneous model of uh, type 1 diabetes, treating with our nanoparticles, which are loaded with um, ITE or AHR agonist, as well as uh, either whole protein pro-insulin, or we've also been able to show it with an insulin peptide. We're able to suppress the incidence of diabetes. We're able to suppress overall blood glucose levels in these animals. And um, we're able to do that actually by beginning to treat fairly late on. So we're, uh, even if we don't start treating the mice until 10 weeks or even 12 weeks when you, know, you already have damage to the pancreas at that point, um, we're still able to suppress disease. And uh, we can do this actually through uh, subcutaneous administrations or intravenous administrations, which is really positive when thinking about um, how we're gonna translate this to humans, uh, because something like a subcutaneous injection is um, gonna be really preferable to the, from the patient standpoint uh, compared to having to do intravenous infusions. And um, mechanistically, this is happening through a decrease in pro-inflammatory cytokines and an upregulation of regulatory uh, T cells 
as well as um, if we were to actually take, this is some really exciting work that we did uh, in the paper where uh, we took T1D patients and we isolated dendritic cells. And even when we put in nanoparticles in these dendritic cells from human patients, um, we're able to uh, suppress responses to autoantigens, in this case, GAD, which is one of the really um, common autoantigens in type 1 diabetes. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, because everyone has some level of auto, you know, of, of, of GAD um, in the yep. body, right? Gets described and they have some sort of like, you know, they're, they're tolerant to it. But so why, exactly. is, why is this GAD65 um, creating intolerance? I mean, this system you've, uh, uh, and, and you've addressed it. So that's really great. But I mean, this is like a modular system. You could go one by one with each one of the potential auto antibodies and really just try to click away at them. Exactly. So in type one diabetes, um, it's actually, uh, it's, it's really good one because they, I feel like the autoantigens are really well known and well characterized. That's not true in all autoimmune diseases, but in type one diabetes, um, it's, it is thought there's a, a pretty solid progression at this point, right? If you have one or more or two or more autoantibodies to these known antigens, right, then you're going to develop diabetes um, if you have those early on. And that's, that's known. And so you can actually think about going in with these patients that we know have these responses to these specific antigens. And if we could begin treating them earlier on, um, we think that we'd hopefully really uh, not only be able to treat disease, but maybe even prevent it if we were to go into these patients that are expressing autoantibodies, but maybe not actually having full-blown disease yet, that would be, that would be ideal. Yeah. It's almost like you, you would, you would train it, right? You, you're re-educating, sort of re-educating re the, the, ABC, the APCs one exactly. at a time, you know, one at a time. I mean, how many, would you imagine that you would, um, you know, load up your, these particles with one uh, autoantibody or antigen at a time, or, or would you do several? I mean, is there any idea how many you can add and have uh, good outcomes? Yeah, so we've been able to see that we can co-load multiple antigens, um, but obviously the simpler, the better. I mean, we're going in already to the FDA with like a really complicated particle. So on the one hand, the simpler, the better. Um, so in type 1 diabetes uh, in particular, um, we're thinking about using uh, the insulin antibody or the insulin antigen, because that one's, you know, generally the most common across all of the patients. However, um, it is advantageous for sure to think about going in with multiple autoantigens because maybe then you can, yeah, yeah maybe, you can, maybe over time, like a time sequence of, of re-education. Exactly. And I, I didn't have time to show it here, but it's actually in our most recent PNAS paper, um, one of the big strengths of Antolerix actually was that we were able to demonstrate uh, that we can get tolerance not only to the peptide or protein that you're targeting, but actually um, we can induce bystander tolerance. And so uh, we can get it against related antigens. So uh, not ones that are, you know, just any old random antigen, but what's happening is that these T cells are trafficking to the sites of inflammation and, and attack. So in type one diabetes, they're going to the pancreas or in multiple sclerosis, they're going to the brain and they're acting on the, um, the cells in that local area. And so what you can do is actually get this idea of bystander tolerance, where it's not just the antigen that you're putting in, but also the related ones in the disease. And we think that that provides us with a certain level of protection, too, because maybe you don't have to get uh, the exact antigen that's being targeted. Um, maybe as long as you're coming in with one of, you know, say, three antigens, maybe that'd be enough. Yeah. 
And you can imagine that this would be a really interesting, um, a really interesting way to uh, like an adjunct therapy um, to add to eyelet implantation, right? Because that's yeah. one of the biggest problems is the rejection of the eyelet, imp- uh, the implanted eyelet. So that, coming in with this, it, it seems very helpful. At least that's exactly the idea because the you know the they're kind of two separate ideas of of treating the disease, but you definitely would want to think about the ways to overlap them because while we are, you know, trying to stop the cause of the damage, um, we don't necessarily have any evidence that we'd be able to restore pancreatic beta cell function of those that have already been destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we were to go in and and co with another therapy that maybe does target uh, and restore those beta cells, then you know, that, that would be potentially very beneficial. Yeah, there's many out there that are trying to, you know, resurrect the beta cells also. I mean, uh, Anil Bouchon's got his whole uh, senescence and Peter Thompson, the senescence um, approach where Absolutely. they but then, resurrect them. And then, you know, it definitely seems like it's going to be, it, it's not going to be a one and done. It's going to be a right. multi-therapy for this uh, disease. Right, because their problem is even if they're restoring the, the beta cell function and, and regenerating those cells, um, you're still having the original problem, right? The immune system is still targeting those cells. And so how you get around that, I think that's why we're going to need a multi-pronged approach. Right, totally true. Who has other questions? Anyone in the audience? Silence. <laughs> I'm surprised um, because there are so many, or even put something in the chat. If you don't want to um, raise your hand. Um, there's so many, uh, what else? Uh, it, have you come to the end of your slides? I'm sorry. We've just been, I, it's just really exciting. Research. Oh, that's no, it's great. I much prefer <laughs> um, a question answer type. Uh, I actually wanted to switch gears just a little bit, just because I'm so excited about uh, the work that we've been doing in multiple sclerosis. And oh, yeah. like we were talking about, you know, the, the fact is that this, this type of approach um, can really be used to target multiple autoimmune diseases. And what's nice is that we've been able to learn from each different autoimmune disease. And so I just wanted to really briefly touch on multiple sclerosis um, because this kind of highlights some of the different um, modalities and ways that we're able to treat, which can be absolutely applied to type 1 diabetes as well. And so this uh, here is showing it's the EAE mouse model of disease. So this is where we um, induce disease in C57BL6J mice. And uh, they specifically um, are targeted against this myelin peptide. Mm. And they, uh, over time, develop paralysis. And we're able to clinically score this paralysis. And um, what we've been able to demonstrate was actually that treating with our nanoliposomes loaded with ITE and antigen in this case, which is MOG, uh, we can treat them intravenously. We can treat them subcutaneously. We can treat them once they already have ongoing disease and actually reverse that ongoing disease. And in all instances, it's really driven by the upregulation of antigen-specific cells. So we're able to go in with tetramers specifically against MOG and show that we're generating these uh, or inducing these FOXP3-positive and IL-10-positive antigen-specific CD4-positive T-cells and really suppressing very specifically uh, the pathogenic T-cells specific against this antigen, which is cool because, again, we we really want to focus on antigen-specific induced responses. Yeah, and I mean, it adds this more. Is kind to, of, it, it just adds it, it adds more to the story, really, about what these particles can do. Exactly, and this is like my last data slide, but I think it's just it's it's too cool not to. Um, oh, it is very cool. That, 
<laughs> in in multiple sclerosis, um, I'm not sure how familiar people are, but uh, there's two different forms of multiple sclerosis. You have your lapsing remitting form, and then you have a chronic progressive form. And um, what's great is that these days we've been able to come out with a lot of very strong therapeutics that are very effective in relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, and that's great. Um, but unfortunately, uh, a high subset of patients still develop chronic progressive multiple sclerosis or secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, for which there are very, very th few treatments. Um, and it's, it's really quite a challenge. And we think that that's partially because uh, mechanistically things are happening differently in secondary progressive MS compared to relapsing remitting. But um, what we've been able to show is in a model of secondary progressive MS where you have this initial acute phase of disease followed by this more chronic phase, if we begin treating with our nanoliposomes only in the chronic phase, so we were treating these mice once a week subcutaneously, um, starting from about day 35, we we're actually able to reverse the disease that was ongoing and totally prevent this chronic progressive disease. And we showed in the paper that this was really mediated by this induction of IL-10 positive TR1 cells, which migrated into the brain and spinal cord of these mice and then acted on astrocytes, microglia, and monocytes in the CNS in order to induce this regulatory phenotype and suppress pro-inflammatory innate immune cells, which I think is, is really critical. It's not just the adaptive cells, but actually through these um, TR1 cells, we're able to talk to innate cells as well and really make a difference. And I think that that's what's going to hopefully be really exciting in secondary progressive MS, as well as, you know, we showed strong data and relapsing remitting also. Yeah, no, that is really powerful. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my summary is that nanoliposomes induce tolerogenic disease. Um, they expand antigen-specific FOXP3 and IL-10-positive Tregs. Um, they also suppress pathogenic T, and I didn't get to show the data here, but we can actually suppress pathogenic B cells as well. And um, these IL-10-positive Tr1 cells uh, suppress inflammation, which are driven by tissue resident cells. And so um, what's really exciting is that this is a, a platform <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we think that we have applications in a wide array of autoimmune diseases. Um, our lead is definitely type 1 diabetes, uh, followed really closely by multiple sclerosis, but we're strongly interested in rheumatoid arthritis, um, things like food allergy, right, where your body is uh, targeting peanuts. Um, we think that we could treat as well, along with a bunch of different diseases. But I'm happy to take questions further. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, this is this. Let me see if I can go to, is there any, but let's see, here's in the chat. Thank you so much. We're, I'm in awe of this says somebody. <laughs> um, great talk. Uh, thanks a lot. Um, people are kind of, you know, really <laughs> enjoying this. Um, I should shout out, by the way, Sarah is here right now. Sarah was at our company. Uh, she has since moved on to do brilliant, wonderful things, and I can't wait to hear what she's up to these days. But thanks for oh, tuning Sarah, in. Sarah, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, you can put dive you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Um, please, please weigh in if you'd like to. I, no, I do. I just, uh, you know, I mean, we're almost at the end of our ten thirty, but I'm, I really. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but it, it is. But um, I really love this design. It's really, we'd love to actually have you join us. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to you a little more off the record. Um, in an upcoming series, we're interfacing with a few different biotech companies. Uh, a few of them are focused on APCs. So this would be really a great fit for you, I think, um, to contribute to the conversation.
but I, I really, um, I think it's pretty amazing that, that this, that this, um, technology is developed to where it is. And I give you, um, just, um, uh, just a great amount of credit. You're, you're a young scientist. You've been, you've really contributed a lot and I'm sure, you know, uh, in context of your, your mentors and everything else, but it, it's really says a lot uh, to you that, that you've gotten to this point. So congrats. Well, thank you. I, yeah. It's I owe it all to all of the incredible scientists that I get to work with. I'm just surrounded by brilliant people. <laughs> so they make me look good. It's not me. I promise it's all them. It's <laughs> very humble. But anyway, well, thank you again, Jessica. This was just really great. Um, uh, I, oh, I think Sarah left, but um, thank you again for joining us today. Um, and uh, I guess uh, I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm certain we're gonna hear more from you in Intolerance. So I can't wait to see you next. Well, thanks so much. This was fun.